Well, this morning I am excited to share. It's been 14 weeks, believe it or not, since I've preached. And the last time I preached, I, I knew that there was going to be a couple weeks before sabbatical and a couple weeks after that I wasn't going to preach. And the last two weeks have been awesome. And uh, just to be here and to enjoy the presence of God and then to be preparing for what God has for us now. And uh, I just want to give a little plug online. Uh, we have the opportunity, if you weren't here on Wednesday night, to hear about my sabbatical journey for my family and for me. Um, I shared, and uh, really God met us on, uh, Sunday, or on Wednesday night, and I want to encourage you to get online and listen, and if you're curious about what kind of things I did while I was off and away, um, we kind of answer some of those questions and how God met me. But part of that journey was an Ironman that I was a part of. In Grand Rapids, it's called the MI Titanium um, Ironman, and it was a couple weeks right before I came back that um, I participated. And what's interesting is how much I learned about myself and about life and about ministry uh, from a physical standpoint. Certainly, you know, there's a physical toll, uh, but emotionally and spiritually, how God really unexpectedly really um, opened up some doors of revelation in my life in relation to this Iron Man. And so I decided to use that uh, event, and I believe the Holy Spirit was directing um, as a catalyst or as an illustration, kind of a place to launch to help us grow spiritually. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to do that to challenge us both personally and then corporately. And so let's answer the question, what is an Iron Man? Uh, how many have heard of an Iron Man before? Okay, well, an Iron Man simply, if you haven't heard, is a triathlon. There's three parts. And an Ironman consists of a swim of 2.4 miles. If you pull out of our parking lot and go towards Fruitport, it's about two miles to into the kind of the 5th Street, I think, or 3rd Street, whatever that is. It, can you imagine swimming that entire way? Then you jump on a bike and you ride your bike for 112 miles. And then once you're done with that, you put on your running shoes and you run a full marathon, 26.2 miles. If you've ever seen on the back of a car a, a bumper sticker that looked like this, 140.6, you add those up, that is the sign of an Ironman. So either someone in that car wants to be an Ironman or was, <laughs> and, uh, and that's kind of the sign. So now that you know, you can be looking for that. For me, my Ironman journey started 10 years ago. When I turned 30 years old, I was brand new here at the Gateway Church, and the church sent Jessica and me to Florida to church planner school. And the, the, I, in that setting, I was encouraged to, to make some faith goals for my life to list out 50 goals. I'm telling you, that was not easy to do. In fact, I would challenge anybody here to list out 50 goals in your life, and I did, and I worked on it, and there was different categories they kind of encouraged us to do, but one of those goals was to do or to participate in an Ironman, and I know what some of you are thinking, why in the world would that interest anybody, right? <laughs> well, I'm somewhat competitive, and I like adventure, and I like to be fit, and so I, I like, really, even in my late teens and early 20s, I was racing mountain bikes on Saturday races, and I'd go all over and do that. Um, didn't do so much on Sundays because of church, uh, but then the guys that I was mountain bike racing with, they all were road bikers for training, and so I got a road bike, and I started riding on the road, and then I got caught up in this duet 
duathlon series uh, where for 10 weeks in a row, we would do a run, bike, run, and do the same distance at the same place every, I think it was Tuesday nights or Thursday nights. And, uh, and I did that for a, a couple summers. And in the mix, I also threw in a triathlon here and there, all shorter distances, sprints and Olympics. And, um, and so I, that was part of my past. And so at, thir- at age 30, I'm saying, hey, I want to do an Ironman. I need to do this. But man, time flies when you're having fun, doesn't it? And last fall, last August, I was 39 years old, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking at the fall, I'm looking at the next year and planning, and I'm saying, I am not getting any younger. (laughs) And I realized that in this year, 2016, I'd be turning 40 years old, and so I planned to do an Ironman in 2016. And then, I won't bore you with all the details, uh, some of you know the story, I had three physical ailments or issues with my health last fall. One, I had surgery on my throat. You know, how many remember that if you're around? And I was out of the pulpit for eight or nine weeks. Um, I had an injury uh, hiking, a 44-mile hike on Pitchard Rocks, ended up in the hospital. And then after all of that, when I was healing up, I came down with shingles. And the Lord just kind of halted my life. And I was learning to rest and to listen to my wife, those were the two things, and I've shared that, and uh, we won't get into all that, but this year, when we were moving into 2016, I was re-evaluating my goals with Jessica, re-looking at the idea of sabbatical and what that was going to look like, and for the Ironman, for us, for me, it, we decided it was more practical in this season for me to do a half Ironman, so 1.2 mile swim, all right? 56 miles on the bike, and then 13.1 mile run, a 70.3. And again, if you've seen that on a car, that's someone that's done a half Ironman. Now, either way, considering to do something like an Ironman, half or full, it's no small feat. How many would agree that that's probably true? The time it takes in training, and then the actual event is lengthy in itself, the money it takes to sign up, but then not only to sign up, but then the wear and tear on your stuff, uh, bikes and shoes wear out, clothes wear out. I sold first service. Um, I was doing a training ride, and, uh, and I'm in front. I'm on my bike, and uh, my training partner that was behind me, uh, Matt, some of you guys know him, uh, he's back. He says, PB, he calls me PB, Pastor Ben. He says, PB, I don't, I don't mean to be you know, weird, but it's time for you to get some new shorts. And my, my riding shorts had become see-through on the backside. And so I retired those to my bedroom only, <laughs> if you know what I mean. But anyway, uh, but it's a wear and tear on your clothes. My GPS watch broke and I had to buy a new one. And uh, not only the wear and tear in, in the financial, but then the wear and tear on your body, if you can imagine, when you're training and then even the event. If you are seriously considering doing any kind of Ironman, you know that it's going to cost you something. And in a lot of cases, it can be pretty intimidating. It just can be. Some would say, well, man, I would love to do that. I would love to be called an Iron Man. But when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, fear can hold you back. You say, can I afford it? Or can I find the time to do it? And if I can find the time to do it, would I be disciplined enough to actually put in the training so I don't die during the, during the event? Fear 
can hold us back. And interestingly enough, the Iron Man this summer, certainly I knew I was going to be doing it. I already committed to do it. That was not the only place that I experienced some fear. Now I did. With the Iron Man, there were some training days that I would be out and I'd be working, sweating crazy. And I, it was miserable. I'm thinking, what in the world am I doing? Part of the training was to do three-fourths of the length of each of them, back to back to back, and then another day to do half of the length of of each of them, uh, swim, bike, run, back to back to back. And I did a three-fourths length, and I I was feeling pretty good one week. The very next week, I'm out, and I'm doing this, and the half distance, I did half of each of them, and I thought I was going to die. I seriously, I'm like, how am I in three weeks going to do a full, or do this, do this race? It, it took a toll, and there was some fear around that. I was also nursing an injury on my left knee, and I uh, shared a little bit of that on Wednesday. And, uh, and then just the fear, can I really do this, uh, especially when it comes to the swim? And I'll talk about the swim next week. Uh, it was very uh, interesting. Fear. I had some fear around this Ironman. But I also had fear in regards to my sabbatical. I wrestled with a few things along the way. Beforehand, I thought, man, what are people going to think? You know, you're taking time off. Will people understand? I also uh, feared, what if someone while I was away died and I couldn't get back to be a part? Or what if someone, their marriage was struggling and uh, I figured I was going to be off long enough that if someone's marriage was struggling, they could file for divorce and be divorced by the time I was back. And some of those thoughts came through my mind. I'm saying, man, or what if the church financially just plummeted while I was away? Or what if a guest didn't show up on Sunday? Who would step in? And all these weird thoughts, and maybe you can imagine, but fear. And fear, there's something I've learned that it is better to just face your fears than to run from them. And I've learned that, and I try to do that. And there are things that we all are can fear, and there are things that we should face. Um, what kind of things do we need to face in regard to fear? There, I made a small list here. There are some, for some, it's fearing your finances, and you're saying, I need to face my finances. I, I need to face the indebtedness that I have created. And just a little plug, Financial Peace University, it's an absolute blast starting tomorrow night. I'm going to be facilitating. It's going to be really fun. Come and join us. But there's others that are fear their marriage or saying, man, is this going to last? Is this going to work out? Or, uh, you know, can I get along? There may be some that fear their addiction and say, man, can I, will I ever get a hold or get a grip on what's happening? Or maybe that you fear the idea of getting in shape or being healthy. Or maybe you fear the idea of uh, that God has given you a dream, but you say, man, what, I don't even know where to turn. I don't know what step to take. And we face things, and sometimes fear can keep us in shackles, can keep us, will hinder us from what God has for us. Now, let me just ask a question with a show of hands. We all have fears, right? You have fears, right? Right? Just your hands up? Okay, and if you didn't raise your hand, I guess you're just afraid to admit it, right? (laughs) But what's interesting is that there's a lot of problems that we face are connected to fear, financial, relational, spiritual, emotional, they stem from fear. And so I I found a a definition of fear that I think will help us to get our mind around this idea. Fear is a strong, unpleasant emotion caused by actual or perceived danger. I want to talk about that actual danger first. 
there's actual danger. There are things in this life that we really should fear. We teach our kids not to touch the top of a hot stove. Why? Because if they do, it's going to hurt. It's going to burn, right? We don't let our kids play in the street because there's an actual danger that they could get hit and be killed. And that actual danger is a good fear. It's healthy in our lives. Everybody tracking with me? There's healthy fear. There's, there's uh, actual danger. But there's also things in our lives that are just perceived danger. How many of you that have raised kids, one or more of your kids, were afraid of the dark? Just show of hands. All right? Yeah, a lot of us. How many of us are still afraid of the dark? Just show your hand. We're going to pray for you this morning. Don't you worry. <laughs> All right? I had this memory this week while I was studying. I was like, man, when I was a kid... I was afraid of my basement, and we had this deep freezer in the basement that my mom and dad, they'd put ice cream down there, but they'd put meat and different things, and my mom at times would say, Ben, or she called me Benji back then, she said, Benji, <laughs> but don't anybody call me Benji, <laughs> Ben, uh, Benji, can you go get me some hamburgers, or go get me a pound of this, or go get some ice cream, and man, my heart would just start pounding, has anyone been there before? I mean, it was a perceived danger. There was nothing in our basement that was scary, maybe a spider or two, I don't know. But listen, I would, I would be like, all right, and I would literally scream. I'd be like, <laughs> the whole time I'd run down, be back up with whatever I was supposed to get, because I was, whatever was there, they were afraid of me. <laughs> How many know it's just perceived danger? And there are things like that. And it's interesting that fear, it can keep us alive, right? Fear in and of itself is not bad. It keeps us alive. It keeps us from actual danger. Although I've learned this summer, my son and I, we went to Tequamanon Falls and we took three of his buddies the entire way up to Tequamanon Falls, him and his buddies are watching YouTube videos. There are people that off the 50-foot cliff, uh, the, the big falls, they jump off of that and do cliff diving and cliff jumping. And my boys, these 12-year-old boys, were stoked. They were sure that when they got there, they were going to be the next to take the plunge. 50 feet, okay? And I mean, my mom and dad were with me, and it was just me, my mom and dad, and then these boys. And we just let them talk, and we enjoyed it. <laughs> and when it came down to it, and they got down there, and we went down the steps, and you would have to jump over the fence, and then get in the water, and then look over the 50 foot. That 50 foot in their mind that looked about this big, ended up looking about this big, and nobody jumped. And I'll just say, that's the power of a, parent, a praying parent. <laughs> Jessica was praying that nobody would jump, because she knew that they had plans to do so. But uh, grandparents, don't stop praying for your kids' protection. But anyway, but sometimes we lose that sense of fear between the age of 12 and who knows for guys when it ends. But, uh, but that idea, it can keep us alive. And sometimes it's actual danger. Sometimes it's a perceived danger. But it's always related to emotion. Fear is an emotion. And that's an important distinction. And it, there's often many mo emotions that are connected. Let me give you an example. So if, if you have the emotion of greed, like you're greedy, it's the fear of not having enough. Or if you fear rejection, it's really the fear of not being accepted. If you fear guilt, it's really the fear of being discovered or being exposed, right? Anger, 
I know no one struggles with that. But when you do, it's the fear of not going to get what you getting getting your own way. Or jealousy is the fear of losing control of something that we desire. Indecision is the fear of making the wrong choice. Insecurity, the fear of that people will know me for who I really am. And again, that kind of idea of being exposed. And we want to be aware of these things. It's important for us to know this. And so with that backdrop, I want to just ask, what are you afraid of? I looked it up. There are thousands and thousands of things that people are afraid of, but there are some common things that fear kind of creep in for the average person. Maybe the fear of public speaking. Believe it or not, at one point in my high school career, uh, when I was called into ministry, I was petrified to speak in front of people. And now you can't shut me up. I understand that. But the fear of public speaking. How about the fear of people or the fear of strangers or the fear of authority? fear of losing out or the fear of failure or fear of loss or change, the fear of judgment, the fear of being humiliated. How about this? The fear of growing old. This summer, I felt it a little bit. How about the fear of being alone or the fear of being hurt? In in some of these cases, it's more actual than it is perceived. Sometimes it's more perceived than actual. And uh, what's interesting that these fears can become significant in our lives and they can haunt us along our journey. And sometimes it's related to what's happened in the past, maybe a childhood memory, maybe a trouble in a relationship and now there's fear of commitment or something like that. I wrote in my notes and I really feel this could be for someone here that someone had made a mistake when they were a young adult and fear from that point on has gripped them and ha- they haven't been able to advance like they thought they may have, uh, may, might should have or, or could have. How about forgiveness? Unforgiveness. Can't letting go or cannot let go. So it can be things in the past, but it also can be things facing us in the future, right? Uh, the fear of the unknown, the what if syndrome. What if I don't get selected for the team? And so I'm not even going to try out. Fear holds us back. Or what if I can't afford college? And so you don't even apply yourself and don't even um, try. Or the fear, I'm going to lose my job someday. And so you're always doing just a mediocre job or, or are afraid of the next thing that may be around the corner. Or the fear, I'm going to get hurt or I'm going to lose my relationship or my spouse is going to leave me. What, or the fear, I'm going to die. Well, we're all going to die, but some people are really afraid of that. And I'd be curious this morning, and we're not going to take a poll, but what are you afraid of? And I would encourage us to be honest with ourselves, to kind of face our fears, and we'll talk about that momentarily. And the good question to ask is, why do we fear? What's kind of behind that? And I, I Googled it, I looked it up, and there's really some scientific study of fear. It's really the process, it says, of, of creating fear. It takes place in the brain and is entirely unconscious, one resource said. I thought that was interesting. It's unconscious. It happens in our brain without us even knowing. Fear kind of slips in. It's not conscious, at least at first. Now, once it goes to our heart, we understand. Then we're making the choice, and it becomes more conscious. But you say, well, why do we fear? Well, sometimes it's a, a control issue. For me, with sabbatical, leaving this, uh, this summer, I was not going to have my finger or my pulse on what was happening here. And so there was some, some fear there. It can be a fear of driving or letting someone else drive because you're out of control, right? And and so the control issue. How about this? The fear of being alone. That can be a reason for for fear. 
And I, I faced that this summer in Tennessee. I did a week of solitude, or it ended up being a half a week. And I had to accept that, all right, I'm here by myself. I didn't talk to anybody for days. And it was a very interesting uh, time for me. But when it comes, boils down, often we fear because we feel powerless. I want to explain that for a moment. Where you feel like you cannot handle something on your own. Where you've tried to do it on your own, but you can't. And so you, there's fear that kind of creeps in. Or you can't break the addiction. And a lot of times that's kind of how it's seen. Or you can't stop lying or cheating or stealing. And there's something that, that there's a power you're saying, man, I can't do this on my own. I've seen people that have tried to stop drinking and they feel powerless. They can't seem to do it or stop smoking or stop the drugs, get off the drugs, and they feel powerless. And that can be a reason that there's fear around some of those things. And the truth is there's a lot of reasons that we can fear. So what are we wrestling with today? What are you wrestling with today? Hopefully something this morning will be jog your memory. Because I want us to take whatever we, we may be facing that's holding us back, and I want us to consider the possibility, get this, what would it be like to be free of fear? To be to free or fear-free living. What would that look like? Wouldn't that be incredible? To let the power of Jesus overcome and make the difference in your life, whatever you're facing? I want you to think about how fear can dominate you. The thoughts, conscious or unconscious, it can affect our sleep, it can cause anxiety, it can keep you bound, it can paralyze people for years, whether they know it or not, it can ruin your self-confidence, it can go so far to the place where people are in panic or they, are in, they feel a terror. Uh, some people I've seen, they're so concerned about the last days, and there's so much fear around that, and I don't believe that's from the Lord. Maybe with a political environment the way it is, there's a lot of, there can be a lot of fear, and it can go too far. Or people look at the world and say the wars and disease and famine and, uh, and all these things, overpopulation, and uh, people can pick whatever it is. They can have fear around these things and take it too far. Let me just say this, as far as overpopulation, just drive north a little bit, <laughs> about 30 minutes, like I did this summer with my family, and there we are not overpopulated. As a, but anyway, that's another story. Um, but the problem, it, it becomes a problem that fear can destroy relationships. It can steal joy and peace. It can halt your spiritual uh, journey. The enemy would say, man, I've got you right where I want you if you're afraid. Fear can affect your health. It can make you even sick. And with fear, there's really two options. And really, this is a scientific and kind of uh, psychological uh, ex um, uh, occurrence. Either you're going to fight it or you're going to flight. You're going to either face it or you're going to run from it. So I told you this summer I was in Tennessee uh, by myself, and I was in the woods uh, for a few days, didn't see anybody, um, didn't talk to anybody for a couple days. And um, the second day that I was at Virgin Falls, which is in the hills of Tennessee's gorgeous setting, um, I decided to go from where I was the first night to a second location. And it was very clear that this pathway heading down to a river had not been traveled in a long time. There were cobwebs all over, and it's just kind of, you could tell that it wasn't as traveled as some of the other 
And so I picked up a stick, a big long stick. I learned uh, previously that when you're in an area where no one's in the woods, where no one's been through, if you pick up a stick and kind of just wave it kind of in front of you, you can catch a lot of the cobwebs. Because, I, I mean, no one likes cobwebs on your face or, you know, you feel it on your arm. You're like, Ugh, whatever. But um, so I do that. And it's kind of funny because I would turn on worship music. And this is the honest truth. I would be waving this in front of me, singing worship songs in the, in the woods. I'm like, I'm a flag waver. <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and so, I mean, that was kind of fun. But anyway, but I'm going along. And I had this sense that I was just indestructible. I'm like by myself. I'm like, this is fantastic. And all of a sudden, my next step was over a ginormous snake curled up in a ball like this. this. The body was probably at least an inch, inch and a half thick, and it was just sitting there. And I'm just going along like this, and I'm like, oh! And I go like this, and I, I ran. I'm not going to lie. I didn't turn around, take pictures. I was out of there. I hate snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. I'll admit it. Now, at a store, you know, or at the zoo, I could get right up to the glass and be like, look at you, snake, right? And it's, <laughs> and I'll be right there. But in the open, I guarantee you every time I'm out of there. Now, Joe Richards, he's like, I'm going to go find that thing and catch it. And uh, that's not me, man. But how many times do we run from our fears, right? And that was good, good wisdom for me. How many would agree? <laughs> But anyway, but we hide from our fears or we, we put our fears in the dark and we suffer in silence. And do you know what? I just believe that that's not God's best. I don't believe that's God's plan to, for us to fear. It's not for us to keep fear in the dark. Instead, we should shine a light on the things that are holding us back. Instead of um, uh, running, we need to face our fears. And what can happen, and what's beautiful, is that the power of God can do incredible things in our lives. When we do that, through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the strength of His people working together, we can do together, we can face some things, so we need to let the Lord shine on our fears. And with that, I want to look at the Word of God. What does God's Word say about fear? Let's turn first to Isaiah chapter 41. This is a great, great passage. In fact, I would encourage you to write sections of this on note cards, put it in your car, put it on your mirror next to your alarm clock. If you're into tattoos, this might be a good tattoo, okay? I'm just saying. Now, look, listen what it says. And I'm not saying you should get a tattoo, but whatever. All right, my kids aren't in this service. So, <laughs> um, Jessica, no tattoos, right? Okay, all right. It says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. All who rage against you will surely be ashamed and disgraced. Those who oppose you will be as nothing and perish. Though you search for your enemies, you will not find them. Those that wage war against you will be as nothing at all. How many sounds say that sounds pretty good? Verse 13 says, For I am the Lord your God who takes hold of your right hand, like a mother would take hold of a, a child or a father would take hold of a child's hand. And I say this to you, do not fear, I will help you. I will help you. Do not fear. God is there with you. 
In Psalm chapter 56, another place where God's word is just so powerful. Verse 3 says this. This is David talking. He says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. Kind of declaring, affirming God's plan or God's uh, trust. It says, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid. And then I love this little sentence. It says, what can mortal man do to me? It's almost like, what can mere mortals do when God is on your side? You put your faith in God. How many know God has got your back? So how do you deal with fear? The first thing is we got to acknowledge it. We need to say it or share it with somebody. Write it out. We need to acknowledge, I am afraid of commitment. Or I am afraid of loss. Or if you're a teenage boy, I am afraid of girls. I mean, just say it, all right? <laughs> you bring it into the light, right? And even when it's hard or it's painful, I am afraid of my financial security. I'm afraid that we won't be able to make this year or this month's budget. I, I won't have enough gas money to go from here to there to get to work. Or maybe it's an addiction, and I know that we can struggle, a lot of people do, say, I am afraid that I won't be able to ever get victory in this area. Or maybe if it's a school situation, I'm a, I, there's a, some fear, I'm afraid of math class, or that I won't be able to pass the grade. You need to acknowledge it, number one. Then you need to identify the source. And this is a little bit more difficult, isn't it? To say, okay, what is the root issue? What ha was it in my past that has caused me to fear in such a way? And it can be difficult to, to see. But how many know that we serve a God that is a revealing God? The Holy Spirit can speak to us. He can reveal things about our past that we may not even be aware of when we are in His presence. And I'm thankful for that. And I just want to say this too. Parents, we have the ability to discern some things about our kids when we're raising our kids that, uh, that will help us raise our kids, that we can have insight into their lives. And uh, it is not something spooky, but I believe it is straight from heaven that God can give us a picture of maybe what is really going on with our kids at different times. And we need to embrace that. We need to, we need to let God move in our lives. And so we need to identify the source. So we acknowledge it. We say, all right, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what the source is. And then the third thing is you've got to change your focus. You've got to use your authority in Christ and say, God, I'm going to use your word. I'm going to uh, use God's word as affirmation and let Jesus carry the heavy load, whatever the fear is. Don't let fear gain ground. Fear is from the enemy. It's straight from the pit of hell. When I was a kid's pastor, we used to sing a song, and uh, I'm not going to teach it to you, but there was a part that said, devil, it was kind of like a rap, devil, I've had enough of you. I'm not going to take it anymore. Woo -woo. I'm not going to take it anymore. And then it says, Satan, get away from me. I'm not going to take it anymore. And it's kind of that facing the fear. Because when we understand who we are in Christ, there's freedom that is available. How many think that sounds pretty good? Freedom from fear. You say, how can you say that? Well, listen, we are children of the Most High God. 
You are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And, you know, when my kids are with me and Jessica and we're, you know, as a family, they're not scared of anything, I don't think, because they have a protection of a mom and dad that loves them. And you provide that in your circumstances, whether you're single or you're, you're married or whatever the case might be. Listen, we, you provide protection in the same way that our God, He provides a protection. Turn with me to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1. I love this. 2 Timothy chapter 1 says this, and you probably know this, for God did not give us a spirit of fear or a spirit of in, uh, tim- timidity. That is not God's plan. Any fear that we have is really from the enemy. But he, God, has given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-discipline. Some versions say of a sound mind. A sound mind. God has not given us. So we need to claim freedom. We need to curse anxiety. But we do not want to do it on our own. We need to rely on God. I love what 1 John 4, 18 says. There is no fear in love. You say, okay, that's good. But perfect love, and who's perfect love? Jesus, God, right? So God drives out fear. When we trust God, when we rely on God, it drives out fear. When we cast our cares, our fears on God, whatever we may be facing, God, he's going to help us in one of two ways. Either he's going to help us and give us the ability to overcome it immediately, which is awesome, right? I've seen people with anger issues that say, God, take this anger. And all of a sudden, they become totally calm and, and, uh, and their rage is gone. How I many Man, that's awesome. I've seen people uh, with alcohol addiction. A friend of mine uh, in Dayton, Ohio, uh, he, he got saved and delivered from alcohol all at one time. He went home and he had a, just a whole uh, slew of, of uh, drinks. He came home, dumped them all, never has had a drink ever since. And that's been probably 20 years or more. Crazy. So sometimes God gives us the ability to overcome it immediately, or, and this is not as fun, but God will give us the strength or the grace to endure. I was thinking about finances. You know, sometimes God doesn't just send a big check in the mail. He gives us the wisdom to get on a budget and to stick to it, and the discipline over time is what makes the difference, and God will help us through that. So he helps us. And either way, God would say, rely on me. Rely on me. Put your faith, put your trust in him. My friend Conan Stevens, who I used to do a, a bunch of triathlons and duathlons, that whole series, and um, uh, he's, he's quite the guy uh, in Ohio. He was a youth pastor, and I was a children's pastor. Um, and he was in Columbus, I was in Dayton, but we did a lot of racing together uh, back in the days uh, when I was in my early 20s. I was calling him, and I told him uh, that I was doing a series on uh, this Iron Man, and I was going to talk about fear. And in fact, he is, we're going to see a clip from his church, a testimony uh, here in a moment. But he said something. He said, fear will either overtake your faith, or your faith will overtake your fear. And I thought, man, that's good. Uh, someone should write that down. Fear will overtake your faith, or your faith, your trust in God, will end up overtaking your fear. And I want it to be the latter, don't you? That our fear is overcome by our faith. We can bring our faith to the table and we can determine to run towards our fears, to stand our ground, because I believe we're at our best when we do so. 
I like what John Acuff said. He said, fear would have told the Wright brothers not to fly. Fear would have told Rosa Parks to change seats. Fear would have told Steve Jobs that people would hate touchscreen computers. <laughs> and I was thinking about that. What if fear would have held David back from defeating Goliath? What if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have been uh, stunted by fear in Nebuchadnezzar's court? Or the disciples in the early church, what if fear would have gripped them? Would they have taken the word, the gospel, to the ends of the earth? What about Paul? He would not have made it to Rome if fear, because there was a lot to be afraid of there. And then I was thinking, what about Jesus? What if fear would have gripped Jesus? Would he have gone to the cross? It's just an interesting thought. See, it's worth it to run to, towards our fears. And I believe that when we do that, life's biggest rewards are really right around the corner, are in just the other side of what scares us most. I love that. That whatever it is, our greatest victories, our greatest breakthroughs are just around the corner. Do you believe that? That when we face our fears, God, he meets us. See, the enemy would love to limit your potential. He would love to make, your, make you waste your energy on fear. But God has a better way. And there's a story from my friend's church in Cincinnati, or uh, Columbus, Ohio. The church is called C3. It's not the C3 from Spring Lake. I just want to make sure that you understand that. But with permission, we, he's allowed us to kind of capture and look at this story. I pray that it'll be a blessing to you, and then we're going to close after that. Watch this story. My name is Megan Rubenstahl, and this is my story. When I was a teenager, I went through several very severe traumas. I lost a friend to suicide, and I was sexually assaulted. And I just kind of willingly walked away from church and from God and <clears throat> was just angry. And I felt like if there really was a God, he didn't really care about what was going on with me. And I just became very self-destructive from a really young age. Shortly after that, I met a man who I thought was the world. And he was sweet and he was charming and he did whatever I like to do, and he complimented me as much as he breathed. <laughs> and, uh, we were engaged within six months of meeting, and within six weeks of being engaged, he started abusing me, and I just had a hard time remembering how I had gotten there, and I would find myself in arguments and wandering around the neighborhood alone, and up against walls and just wondering how did I get here and what happened to the man I used to know and the self-hate I was already carrying got significantly worse and I developed a really severe eating disorder. <clears throat> uh, I was lucky to escape that relationship um, and I started dating my best friend and within two months into that relationship I was pregnant at 18 years old. And so again, I found myself wondering, how did I get here? And the following year, we got married. And so I am lucky to this day to be married almost five years to my best friend. But there was a lot of stuff that I left 
uncovered and a lot of stuff that I didn't address that started to come out over time. Um, and we had been married for about a year and a half and our son was two and we had a new baby girl and my husband got an opportunity to become a Columbus police officer and it meant that we were gonna have to pack up our home and our life and everything that we knew and move in three weeks and it didn't take long before I started to resent my husband for the decision that I helped to make and I just found myself alone in a city where I knew no one where I was uncomfortable and scared. I had two very young children that I was raising on my own for the most part. My husband was in the academy. He was gone for at least 12 hours a day and then studying and sleeping. I didn't have any friends. In fact, I didn't have anyone that knew my name for the first year that I was here. And I would have this recurring fight with my husband about how lonely I was and he would ask me, why don't you go meet some people? And I would just say, I can't. And I would get really upset. And then two weeks later, we would have the same fight. And for more than a year, I never did meet anyone. Until my eating disorder got so severe and I was so damaged. I had lost four teeth. I had internal scarring and bleeding. And it just kind of hit me one day that I was either going to get better or I was going to die. And so one day I just decided I was going to go check out this church I kept driving by. It had a really weird name, sitting at the bottom of the hill. And the thing was, I wasn't really looking for God. I was still pretty mad at him. I went there just because I was looking for people. I needed someone to help me. And so the first Sunday that I was there, I was just blown away at the beginning of worship when they asked us to stand and greet the people around us because I grew up in a church where we stood up and greeted the people around us every week. And how that went was we stood up and we awkwardly glanced around and then maybe shook one person's hand and sat back down. But at C3, these people just stood up and started walking around the whole room just giving out hugs and shaking every single person's hand that they saw everyone treated me like they already knew me and it was just stunning to me it seemed like a reunion everybody was really actually happy to be there and see each other and i'd never seen anything like that and at that point i had decided i was going to come back the following week so I got involved with a community group and I got really honest about who I was and what I was struggling with and things that I'd been through. And I was ready for them to cast me out and identify me by the things that I'd done and the things that I'd been through. And instead, all I got was compassion. And it just broke me. and. I just knew that everyone there had something that I didn't have. And I just asked God to do for me what he had done for them. And that day I was changed.
and I was healed from an eating disorder that I had for seven years overnight. I keep learning new depths of God's love for me, and the more that I find the depth of God's love for me, the more I find a depth of love for other people. And I understand how they were able to give such love to me. There's a few things that are, to me, beautiful about that story. One is just the power of the local church coming around someone. But also, this young lady faced her fear. Fear had kept her in bondage, kept her isolated, kept her alone. And it wasn't until she experienced community and the power, the power of that that things really got going for her, that things really changed. John Acuff says, fear hates community. And uh, so she faced her fear, she shared it, and the result that she thought she was going to be isolated and kind of rejected or kind of labeled by what she had done or what, who she was, instead she said she got love and compassion. Isn't that beautiful? I appreciate that. And she received the healing that she needed, she was changed, and it was all because of the work of God in her life. She faced her fear. Now I want to take us back to the few scriptures that we looked at just momentarily because it's really the power of the word that changes us from the inside out. And as we kind of bring the service to a close, I want to just quickly review these verses. Isaiah 41 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. That's a word for someone this morning. At the end of that, verse 13 says, Do not fear, I will help you. Psalm 56 says this, When I was afraid, when I'm afraid, I trust in you. In God I trust, I will not be afraid. What can mortal man do to me? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 for God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of self-discipline, a sound mind. And then 1 John chapter 4, there is no fear in love, because perfect love casts out all fear. That's the power of God's word in your life and in my life. We can bring our fear to the Lord. We do not have to be afraid. Nothing has to own us. And we can receive freedom and breakthrough because of the blood of Jesus. And we need to do that today. We need to stand and we need to face those things right here, right now, and let the power of God just overwhelm us. And so with that, I'm going to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes. And just uh, ask the Lord to be working in your life. Just bear with us for another couple moments here. The, the first thing I want to address is a, an actual danger that we all face. The Word of God, which we believe is true, says that the wages of sin is death. That means that if you ha are a sinner, if you have made a mistake in your life, 
what you deserve is death. But the verse doesn't stop there. It goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I want to just give you this picture that there is a true, actual fear that we are going to die and there will be an eternal punishment if we do not receive Christ. Now, I don't want to scare you into accepting Christ, but the gift of God, that is salvation, is available for you this morning. And so I'm just going to ask, just be bold and say, is there anyone here that needs that free gift of salvation? You need Jesus to save you this morning. If that's you, I want you just to raise your hand right where you are. And there may be some fear in your heart saying, man, I don't know if I want to raise my hand. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is working in your life, I see that hand. I see your hand. Yes. Who else this morning saying, man, that's where I am. I, if I were to die today, I don't know if I'd make it to heaven or if I'd be eternally damned. Thank you. Yeah. Who else this morning? A couple individuals, a young man up front. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to pray for them. In just a moment, you can put your hands down. There are four individuals this morning, praise God, that are realizing their need to rely on God, to put their faith in Jesus, and we'll lead them to that in just a moment. But for all of us here, this whole idea of fear can become overwhelming. And I want us all to identify the thing in our life that's holding us back. What is the fear that you are facing today? And can we believe together that God, He is going to help us when we cast our cares on Him, when we put our trust in Him? I don't care who you are. God is not a respecter of person. He wants to meet your need this morning and provide freedom, freedom this morning. If that's you this morning, you say, man, there are some areas in my life that I need to turn over to the Lord. Would you just raise your hand right where you are as well? Absolutely, lots of hands. Fear of the future, fear of commitment, fear of finances, fear of relationships. Yeah. And then... You can put your hands down. Do you believe that God is able to meet you and to help you? I believe he's here, that his power is here. His power is here for us. Now, if I could have your eyes on me just for a moment. There were a lot of hands that went up for the fear. There were four individuals that raised their hand for salvation. We're going to pray just a moment for that. But after we pray for salvation, and just, the, just a simple miracle prayer, it's not the words of the prayer that save us, and we understand that, but I'm going to lead us into a prayer of salvation. But then after that, I'm going to ask that you do something. For some of you, it's going to be easier than for others, but I'm going to ask that you pair up with one other person that's here. And if we have to have three, that's the most, but really one-on-one is best. And what, I'm gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to just share kind of what's our greatest need. And then after we share, we're going to pray. Husbands and wives certainly can pray together. If you're here by yourself, 
find someone that you can pray with, and we'll do that. But first, let's, for these that raise their hands saying, boy, I need a relationship with the Lord, let's, let's lead them to the cross, amen? Let's, let's just uh, say this prayer together, or repeat this after me. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my sin, and I know that you died for me, and I'm putting my trust in you. Please come into my life and save me. Take away my sin. Make my heart clean. And Lord, I pray that I can serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's just rejoice together for what God's doing. And I want to talk with those that raise their hands. We want to make sure we make a good connection. But if you would just stand right where you are, I'm going to challenge you to just turn and find someone to pray with here just for a moment. Share your greatest need, moms and sons, husbands, wives, single. If you're here by yourself, find somebody. Let's make sure no one is alone and just turn around. I know it's kind of scary. Turn around, find somebody if you can. And let's just share a quick need and then share a quick prayer and ask the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit just to flood this place and to meet you right where you are. Let's do that. Hallelujah, Lord. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, God, move in this place, God. Do a great and mighty work. Lord, meet our needs, God. We cast our cares. We face our fears with your power and your presence. Oh, God, I pray. Praise the Lord. If I could have your attention just for one final moment. If you're praying, I understand that. But I just, this morning as I was putting kind of the final touches on the message, I felt like I had a word from the Lord. This is something I've said before, but I really believe it could be for someone this morning. Someone that's facing transition in their life. Um, it could be a job kind of transfer or maybe even a relocation. Um, and there's some fear around that. And I don't know all the specifics, but this is what I believe that the Lord would like to say. That the safest place for you to be is in the will of God. And for you to follow what you are believing God is calling you to do, that there's safety there. There's no reason to fear. And I don't know what all that means, and it could be, have been for someone first service, but it could be for someone right here, right now. The safest place to be is in the will of God. There's no fear. Let me close in prayer, and then we can greet each other and, and continue to pray if you need to. But Lord, I just pray that today, that as we walk out of here, God, that our heads would be high, and Lord, that you would help us in our day to day. God, that your hand would be upon us, that you'd be leading us and guiding us. Maybe not showing us the full picture, but God, step by step, you are leading us. And God, we just declare together, we desire to be in your will. We want to be in your perfect will. And so God, just speak to us. Give us a peace no matter what transition may be coming, no matter what kind of turmoil may be lurking in the side. God, we just declare that we are your children and you've got our backs, that we have strength in who you are. And God, I just pray that you just 
strengthen each one here and help us to go in the grace of God. God, go before us, behind us, and around us. Bring us back together again. Lord, we thank you. God, bless our small groups this week. And Lord, we just give you the praise and the glory for it in your wonderful name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. God bless you. Go in the grace of God. We love you. Thank you for being here.